Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And now, Mike Hickson. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles today to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And we're going to be thinking about what the prophet said many, many centuries ago. In our study today, I want us to think for a moment or two about Isaiah's prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into this world. And really what we have is a prophetic portrait of Jesus. Isaiah, some eight centuries before Jesus made his entrance into the world, depicted Christ as a suffering servant. And this coincides with what Jesus said of himself in Matthew chapter 20 at verse 28, when he said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And so in our study today, I want us to think for a moment or two about what the prophet has said concerning the coming of this great Messiah, the one that you and I know as Jesus. The first thing that I call your attention to as we study together has to do with his suffering in death. We're talking primarily here about the pain that Jesus experienced while on earth. The first thing that Isaiah speaks of has to do with his sorrows. Jesus is depicted as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief in verse 3. What about the sorrows that Jesus experienced on our behalf? Well, first of all, mankind, by and large, his own people, they rejected him. They turned away from him. The Bible says that they despised him. In verse 3, the Bible says he is despised and rejected by men. The word despise here carries with it the idea of ascribing little worth to something or to someone. And the example would be Esau when he despised his own birthright, something of great value that he, in effect, despised. It was said of Jesus that he came to his own, but his own received him not. In John chapter 1 at verse 11. The Jewish people, as you know, were the custodians of the scriptures. They were the one, they were the ones into whom God entrusted his holy word. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 at verse 2 that they had been entrusted with the oracles of God. If anyone should have known about the coming of the Messiah, certainly the Jews should have known. They should have expected the coming of the Son of God, the Messiah. When Jesus was born into this world, he was not born into the palace of a king, but rather he was born in poverty. We think about Jesus being born in a manger, in a stable. And so 
Jesus did not fit the mindset, that is, he wasn't what the Jews were looking for necessarily. And so he was despised by many. But not only was he despised, but the Bible goes on to say he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. So his sorrows, but then also what about his stripes? The Bible says in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I think about the violent mistreatment of Jesus. It's hard to imagine the Creator, the one by whom the world was made, suffering at the hands of his own creation. And yet that is exactly what happened to Jesus. He had been betrayed by one of his own, Judas Iscariot, for the sum of 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus experienced a very rigorous trial. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 19 at verse 1 that Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. The scourge was enough to kill any man. Jesus was scourged and then Matthew tells us in chapter 27 of his record that the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. That they spat upon the Son of God. The Bible tells us that they bowed the knee before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. Jesus was truly a man of sorrows. And the Bible also speaks in very concise terms of the stripes that were inflicted upon his body for us. His sacrificial death. Jesus literally, as Paul said, emptied himself. He left the glories of heaven, came to earth for us. But then I want you to also think with me of his substitutionary death. Now we're talking about his purpose. We sing the song from time to time, Why did Jesus come to earth? Jesus Christ came to earth because the heavenly messenger said to Joseph, It is he that shall save his people from their sins. In Matthew chapter 1 at verse 21. The Bible speaks of the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus Christ. The idea is that he became our substitute. He took our place. Jesus went to the cross for you and me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 21, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Peter also tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. And so Jesus became the one upon whom God laid the sins of the earth. 
And over and over again in Isaiah chapter 53, reference is made to the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, bearing our sins. Listen again to what he says in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then down in verse 8, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. In verse 10, the Bible says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. Verse 11. The Bible says he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. And then in verse 12. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. One of the things that's interesting to me in looking at Isaiah chapter 53 is that the prophet was writing some eight centuries before Jesus ever made his entrance into the world. And yet he uses the past tense in describing the death of Jesus. How was that possible? The answer lies in the fact that God was that sure that his son would fulfill his heaven-sent mission. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to die for our sins. He became our substitute. And I think that that in some way should help us understand the magnitude of sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What about this idea of sin? Did you know that sin literally means a missing of the mark? The Apostle John defines sin as the transgression of the law in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4. There are several things that I think you and I need to understand about sin. Number one, there is the stupidity of sin. Listen again to what the prophet said concerning the Christ and the fact that he paid the price for our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He goes on to say, All we like sheep have turned astray. One of the things about sheep is that they are, by and large, stupid animals. They're dumb. I mean, that's all you can say. They're not intelligent beings, they're not intelligent animals. And when you talk about sin, you need to understand that sin is stupid. Now you may ask the question, how is sin stupid? When we talk about the stupidity of sin, have you ever seen somebody walking around in a drunken stupor? Have you ever seen somebody who is literally enslaved to some kind of chemical substance? Have you ever seen somebody whose life is literally dependent on drugs and alcohol? You want to talk about something that is stupid. The wise man said in the long ago, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. 
In other words, those who are enslaved to intoxicating beverages are foolish. I see people today that if they could only realize how foolish their behavior is, living in sin, surely they would want to come clean from that. If you ever watch this program on television from time to time called Intervention, and you see individuals whose lives are marred by drugs and alcohol, I can tell you with all certainty they're living a foolish life. And that one program, in my mind, depicts the stupidity of sin. Now the Bible says that all we like sheep the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short, come short of the glory of God. When we engage in sin, whatever kind of sin, it's stupid. But not only do we have the stupidity of sin, but there is also the selfishness of sin. Isaiah said all we like sheep have gone astray. Listen to him. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now, there are a lot of things you could talk about in regard to sin, but one of the things that strikes me about sin is it is selfish. When individuals choose to live a life of sin, they're selfish. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24. The Lord said, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to be a servant of the Lord, if you want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to deny yourself. What Isaiah said concerning those who choose a life of sin is they've gone everyone to their own way. In other words, it's all about them. It's what they want to do. It's where they want to go. It's what they want to say. That's how sin is. It's selfish. I mentioned, I mentioned a moment ago those who are enslaved to a life of drugs and alcohol. I wonder if they have ever honestly thought about what their lifestyle is doing to their family members. Have you ever seen a father who is a drunk? I mean, here is a man that's supposed to be a provider in his home. He's supposed to be a spiritual leader in the home. And he's nothing more than a drunk. He's in a drunken stupor on a regular basis. And then because of that, he's abusive in his language, his actions. I mean, sin is a very selfish lifestyle. And so there is the stupidity of sin, the selfishness of sin, and then also the slavery of sin. Jesus talked about in John chapter 8, verse 34, that those who commit sin are the slaves, the bondservants of sin. If you are living a life of sin, you are enslaved to that way of life. You have literally been brought into bondage. Now, you may think you're free, and there are a lot of people today that will tell you they don't want to become a Christian because they don't want to be bound by, by any kind of, of law. They don't want somebody governing their lives. 
what they fail to understand is they're already a slave. They're just a slave of the devil. They have enslaved themselves to a way of life. And that's what sin does. The Apostle Paul talks about those who are taken captive by the devil. Now, we don't like to use the, the figure of a slave today. But if you are living a life of sin, you're in slavery. You are a child of the devil. And so that's what, that's what the Bible depicts sin as, slavery. But then also there is the shame of sin. Now, I understand that we live in a day and time in which many people today do not see the shamefulness of sinful activities. And Jeremiah, he faced that problem in the long ago. Sometimes people today will talk about, well, I don't see how our world could get any worse, and surely it's as, it's as bad as it's ever been. Well, I'm not so sure that it's as bad as it's ever been. It's just packaged a little bit differently. Jeremiah asked the question in the long ago, were they ashamed when they committed abominations? His answer was, no, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. In Jeremiah 6.15, I will freely grant that there are a lot of people in our world today that engage in certain activities and they feel no remorse, they see no shame in what they're doing. A good example would be those who are involved in homosexuality. They, they see no shame in engaging in that kind of life. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin brings shame to the lives of people. And then finally, the sorrow of sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows. And those who choose to live a life of sin, they're choosing a life that will ultimately lead to heartache and sorrow. Now you might ask the question, what kind of sorrows can I expect if I choose to live in sin? Well, first of all, I would suggest that the sorrows are reflected physically. The Bible says, by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Romans 5, verse 12. Look at the heartache that man experiences today in our world. The suffering, the illness, the disease, all of the problems that confront mortal man today. Why is this? Because of sin. And then death. Paul talks about the sting of death. When you talk about the sorrows that sin inflicts on the human family, it is, it is realized in the physical realm. Sin affects us physically. But not just physically, but also psychologically. I would submit unto you that individuals who choose to live a life of sin are affected emotionally and psychologically. Isaiah said over in Isaiah chapter 57, he said the wicked are like the sea which is tossed about 
which cast up mire and dirt. He goes on to say, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Why do you think people in our world today are hooked on drugs and alcohol? Why do you think people in our world today are trying to escape the realities of life and the heartache and the suffering of life? It's because they're suffering emotionally. They're suffering psychologically. And the answer is not a pill. It's not a drug. The answer is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who alone can give us the peace that passes all understanding. That's the one we need. People in our world today, they're suffering physically, they're suffering psychologically, and they're even suffering materially. You take individuals who are caught up in gambling, individuals whose lives are consumed by going to the casinos and throwing money away, and then they wonder why they don't have enough money to buy food for their children, why they can't afford transportation, why they can't pay their car payment. Let me tell you, the devil wants to deceive people. He wants you, he wants me to throw my money down the drain playing the slot machines or playing blackjack or whatever. Sin will hurt you materially speaking. And there are a lot of people today, I hate to say it, but there are a lot of people in our world today, they don't have anything, and one of the reasons they don't have anything is because they have been foolish with the possessions that God has entrusted into their hands. They've allowed sin to get a hold of their lives, and they literally throw whatever they have out the door. Sin can affect you materially. And then also I would suggest that sin can affect you spiritually. Did you know that Isaiah said in chapter 59 that sin is what separates us from God? Is it bad to suffer physically? Yes. Is it bad to suffer psychologically? Absolutely. Is it bad to suffer materially speaking? Yes. A thousand times, yes. But most of all, to think about people who are suffering spiritually, whose lives have been separated because of sin. The Bible, in a very graphic way, depicts what sin has done to the human family in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 12. The Bible says that those who are caught up in sin, they are without hope and without God in this world. That's what sin does. It separates people from a loving God. And then finally, sin will hurt you eternally. Here's what Paul said. The wages of sin is death. If you want to just cut to the chase, I mean just get to the heart of the matter. If you choose to live in sin, it will destroy your spiritual life to the point that if you die, you'll be severed from the presence of Almighty God forevermore. That's the danger of sin. And that's what Jesus came to deliver people from. And that is the scourge of sin. Finally, before we close, I want you to think about 
his satisfactory death. That is when Jesus Christ died, he fulfilled the purpose of Almighty God. God's plan from the very beginning was to save his creation through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can read of that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, 3 and following. You can also read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Where the Bible talks about God's eternal plan. God's plan, God's design was to save you, to save me through his son Jesus Christ. That's why he sent the son into the world. Now with that in mind, look at what Isaiah said in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise or to crush him. He has put him to grief. And then note, if you would, verse 11. He shall see the travail, the distress of his soul, and be satisfied. We talk about the wisdom of God. It's hard for people to understand this great plan. If you and I, if you and I had been responsible for devising a plan to save man, we might have come up with something different. But this is the plan that Almighty God chose. It is a reflection of his wisdom and his greatness. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross, it satisfied the scales of divine justice. Only Christ could deliver us from sin. And so when Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, he ultimately satisfied the scales of justice. And God was pleased because his only begotten son had fulfilled his will on earth. We talk about the love of God and it's a very real thing. If God had not loved us, he would never have devised a plan like this. Had God not loved us, he would never have taken the steps to save us that he did. He would have never sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. But I want you to listen to what Jesus himself said, a well-worn passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has done everything possible to save you from sin and when you read when you read the old testament and the new testament you're reading about god's plan of redemption and really here's the question the hebrew writer asked this centuries ago how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation salvation is great and salvation is open to all people the bible says that god would have all men to be saved Come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants you to be saved. And God wants you to understand that if you choose to live a life of sin, you're going to pay a, a terrible price for that. There is a penalty that comes with a life of sin. As Paul said, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The question we ask you, when you look at Jesus and you think about everything that's been done on your behalf, are you living for him? who died for you. What would you need to do to become a follower of the Lord? Well, the Bible says, first of all, you have to believe in Him. You have to believe that He is the Son of God 
John 8, verse 24. The Bible says not only are you to believe that he is the Son of God, but you are to repent, to turn from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. The Bible also says we're to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that he is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. The Bible then says we're to be immersed in water for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, verse 38. When you do that, you'll enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, at verse 7. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, could we pray with you and for you? The Bible says confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. The beauty of that is God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Listen to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Hi, I'm Mike Hickson. We hope you've enjoyed the Anchor of the Soul radio broadcast. Our worship services at the Olive Branch Church of Christ begin at 10 a.m. each Sunday morning. Our Sunday evening service starts at 6 p.m. If you're in the Olive Branch area, we would love to have you visit with us. Services at the Olive Branch Church of Christ are streamed live over the Internet each week. Please visit our website for additional details. That website is www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Join us again next Sunday morning on this station at 8.30 a.m. for the Anchor of the Soul. This is a presentation of Spiritual Sword Media.